podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's I'm Jim Boardman and I'm with Jay Reed. and the games are coming thick and fast. After having a bit of a drought for a while or it felt that way, we've just had two games and we've got two more to come and we've just had six goals. We've just conceded two goals in, in these two games but I mean there's bound to be some negatives to pick from it and I'm sure that's that's what Klopp will be doing and I'm sure we'll, have a, we'll mention him but I think on the whole, a couple of positive games, 2-3-1 wins. We've got the points in the bag on the league, points in the bag in the Europa League, first points in that competition for a while. And Jay, I think um I think Liverpool fans can be happy with the last couple of games, even if even if they, they will all say that they weren't happy for a bit of each of the start of the two games. Yeah, I suppose it's it's how you view football. Um you know, I think it was mentioned on uh, raw episodes for the Europa League game last night. You know, performances in Europe don't really matter at the end results, especially away from home. Um, you know, you think back to the, I can think back to the days like Rafa Benitez, for example, when it was like, right, we just go away from home and we don't we don't get beat. That that's the main goal. If we can nick a win a one nil or something like that, great. But you don't get beat. Obviously, you're looking more towards like the Champions League sort of one then, so that it's a higher caliber of opposition, but. With all due respect to Lask, um, we should have went there and won, and we did. Um, you know, we made a bit of heavy weather, much like the pitch um, last night, which seemed, you know, for the pitch in the very, you know, early stages of the season, looked like, you know, it was middle of January, being waterlogged for the past four weeks. It was very odd the way it was cutting up, but um, points on the board, and yes, things aren't perfect. Um, you know, the Wolves game of the weekend again proves that. First half especially. Um, the old cliche of game of two halves comes right to the forefront of your mind. But at the end of the day, you're putting the points on the board. You, you're winning when you're not playing well. And some people will say, you know, that's the mark of champions and a lot putting us up there as, you know, mark, marking us down as champions for the season. But what it does do is it gives the lads in the team and the fans the confidence that, you know, we may be not a hundred percent, and you know, conceding goals sometimes, sloppy goals sometimes, well worth goals, as it's been in the case the last two games. But we're getting the results. We've got a rejuvenated midfield of creativity, um, options to change tactically um, within games, and we've got a forward line that is is lethal. Probably, arguably, for me, the best forward line in the league. Um, you know. Some of them aren't playing as good as others, but they're getting goals. Um, you know, there's a lot to be infused about, and yet yeah, the games are coming thick and fast. But 
to keep the momentum rolling. I think we're 16 games unbeaten in the league now. If you want to add last night's game, and that's, you know, 17 all in all competitions, I think. So, you know, it's it's caused with a lot of optimism and rolling into the weekend, a home fixture um, to West Ham. You know, the, the crowd should be up for that Sunday afternoon. It's not quite the the pinnacle Super Sunday of half four, but, you know, it's it's not the early half 12 drab kickoff that we've been getting and you know we seem to struggle it's two o'clock so nearly enough you know ample kickoff time I think we we should be going into that bouncing and sort of keeping this run going and yeah we've got things to work on but I'm sure Klopp and the lads are aware of that so it, it's all it's all going in the right direction for me yeah I mean the, the game last night the we record this obviously on Friday so trying to squeeze this in between games and the, the Thursday night game, I missed the beginning because it's um, early kickoff and I got tied up with some work stuff and um, and then I saw the score come up on my phone and I thought, right, do I really want to rush down the stairs and admittedly to watch the game? But um, I did and, and it turned around. But the the first thing I sort of thought about the game, I saw the lineup sort of an hour before and I kind of knew that we'd, I, I thought we'd put a weaker team out. I thought, you've got, it's a Europa League game, not a Champions League game. With all due respect to Lask, it's not Barcelona or someone that we're playing. We're playing, you know, a, a team that we should be able to handle. But I, I admit, I don't think I expected that team. It's not quite as drastic as a team you sh- you, you see them put out for a say League Cup game. Um, but I mean, the obvious one was like straight away change a goalkeeper, which isn't usually something you get to see um, so early on in a European campaign. Um, wasn't a surprise to see Virgil and Canate back if anything it was just to maybe prove the fitness if anything else they've both been missing recently for different reasons just proved they were ready to get back into it but then the rest of it um, I'll be honest I was I was quite surprised I think I think Nunez Diaz wasn't too, too surprised about them starting good to see Endo coming in and obviously great grabbing Birch once his debut um, sorry full debut good time to have it but um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't what I expected. I think I'll be honest. I just thought we'd have a stronger team than that. Yet, as I go through those names, they're all maybe with the expect, expect, exception of Doak and maybe the exception of of Kelleher. A lot of the names there are, are players that you wouldn't be surprised on a one to one basis of seeing starting in any Premier League game if needed. So maybe it wasn't that weaker team, but I mean that was the impression you were getting off. The commentary team I was watching it on TNT, BT Sports, whatever it's called these days, and you know they were sort of making out it was a weakened team, which really, although it was weaker than I thought, it wasn't that weak. I don't think, and I think this may be going to be the way forward. Now, at least this half of the season in the Europa League, I think we've got to um, a blood these other sort of fringe players, younger players up, and rest the main lads if you can. Yeah, I think. You know, it was. I think it was eleven changes you know, from the start of lineup against Wolves. Yeah. Um, but you know, kind of does you know give a glance towards the actual strength and depth that we've got um, within the squad, which you know depends how you how you look at our squad these days. You think have we got enough? Then up front, yes, definitely. Uh, midfield, probably yes. We've now got enough defence question mark um, and I think that question mark more has been shown in the last few weeks given you know the absence of Trent through injury Virgil through suspension um, can I say with a slight injury um, you know it, it sort of exposed a little bit of fragility at the back there um, 
I can only imagine Keller has been promised the Europa League campaign, um, hence why he stuck around this season, because um, a lot of people probably would have had him on the, the for sale list, not due to the fact of his ability, due, due to the fact he's he's probably arguably too good to be a second choice goalkeeper. And, you know, th- there's a market out there for the club that operate like we do to, you know, sell to buy sort of thing. Um, he probably would have been one that we could have. Him, um, you know, cashed in on and got a decent fee for, but here he is. He's stuck around. I can only imagine he's been promised to cup competitions, including the Europa League. So, you know, good for him. Um, couldn't do nothing about the first goal. However, there was a situation in the second half where there was an offside for Lask, but you know, a close shot from about four or five yards out and rifle towards him, and he, he makes an outstretched leg and puts the ball over the bar. So. You know his, his reactions for for the lad who's not played a lot recently. You know, spot on. Um, Concerning the rest of the team, then yes, th- those lads have got to play sometime. You know, you you look at the likes of Assessor choose come in um, for his first start. I think in about six months, and yes, Rusty. Um, you know, st- still a child. People forget. You know, he, he's he's still physically a boy. Um, whether he'll you know develop any further like you know into what people would say as a man's body um, is is yet to be seen but you know he's still physically fragile at times and you know was was a bit lax in in possession at times and then you know Elliot's still a young boy though a a teenager so that right hand side of the pitch was was a bit naive um, I thought at times but then to be expected when you've got three teenagers like operating that right hand flank and maybe Klopp sort of I don't know what his thinking was with that but it, it didn't really do as much favours um, put it that way and then then the midfield you know with Elliot in there and Gravenberg and, and Endo they've, they've got to play um, and I think you, you can tell with maybe Endo you know he, he's, he's fresh into the club he's only been here probably a month or so um, he does need game time he does need to get them legs moving and there was a couple of times where he, he looked a bit slow and sloppy in possession but you've got to caveat that with he's not really played a lot um, since he's been here so it naturally will look a little bit sloppy and I think Gravenberg himself gave an interview after the game and he said he was good things but he was bad things I was sloppy in possession um, hopefully I think it, he went off with cramp in the second half and that is probably a sign again of his lack of football in recent months, but there's positives to take, especially from Gravenberg's game. Of course, you know he he was progressive with the ball. He he's forward thinking. Um, you know he covers the ground effortlessly. Effortlessly, sorry. Um, you know for a lad who's six three, I think so. You know that there, there is positives there to take from it, and we've got the Carabao Cup next week, the week after midweek. We've got um, Union Saint Shawara home in the Europa League. You know. We've then got another four Europa League fixtures to play between now and Christmas and hopefully a couple of Carabao Cup games. You know, there's there's opportunities for these so-called squad players um, to get games. And yeah, in reference to Virgil and Canate, I think it was a case of get them lads out there and get their legs moving because they're going to be needed for what are probably three, three big games between now and the next international break of West Ham at home, trip to Spurs, a trip to Brighton. You know, you're going to want your, your A-grade centre-halves playing. I suppose that one was a case of get them out there and just make sure they're fresh to go for for the uh, next few weeks. So, all in all, 
quite a lot of positives when you look back at it and take you know a glance at the bigger picture really are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must-have fan threads well over at our anfield index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your liverpool collection from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts sweaters hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs prints and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping we have something for every red we also stock official lfc merchandise and are licensed with the premier league and uefa to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches as a listener to this podcast you can get 10 percent off everything with coupon code aipro10 just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on etsy by searching for anfield index yeah, I mean, I thought um, with, with Stefan, um, it was strange to sort of have him playing in that position because he's not played for a while. And the reason he's not played for a while was, well, initially he suffered um, a season-ending injury, didn't he? So um, he had to get over that and get back into it. And then he's come back in to what I... It must be an unfamiliar position for him. I know when we signed him, I'm pretty sure he was a centre-back originally, but he became a midfielder for us um, as he was sort of coming through. And that's where we've seen him play. Um, but really, looking at looking at the bench, and it's an amazingly strong bench we had last night. When you've got like, yeah, just some of the names on it: Mo and, and McAllister and and, and Shabbosly, and oh, God, you know, Alison Becker, of course. You know, another big name, Curtis Jones, Cody Gapo, Jossa. I mean, all of those names and Robbo, all of those names on the bench, an amazingly strong bench. But the bottom, you know, the bottom line is that at right back we've got Trent, and then we've got Gomez, who's kind of a centre back stroke right back hybrid player if you like and then we've got nobody um nobody sort of recognizes a right back so um I mean just after our game James Milner was playing for Brighton chances are if he'd have stayed at the club he'd have been uh, lining up last night at right back um which I know some people are now shuddering at because he'd be a year older than when we last started a season with him but um it was a strange one to start Stefan there I thought with it being his first game back but at the same time um you know, he, he's got he's got the ability to play the role. He's got the ability. He's got the skills. He's got the speed. Just maybe hasn't got the experience. Is this going to be something? I'm not saying would you like to see. Is this something you would expect to see happen more often this season? We've got we've got more Europa League games. We've got um, uh, whatever it's called these days, Carabao Cup games. We've got occasions where we might need him, and hopefully, hopefully, we don't need him urgently it's more a case of needing him to give Trent a rest rather than Trent not being fit um, we're hoping to see Trent back and fit and firing soon but um, I don't know This it, it seems a shame not to get use out of this young lad Could, and with the midfield being so heavily heavily stacked up with names now is this going to be his route to getting a game for us now? I think it could be um, you know his skill set is, is lends itself to the you know, the inverted sort of role that, that Trent has been labelled as playing. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's good on the ball, he's calm in possession, um, he can pick a pass, um, you know, he's got a natural ability to to, to defend at times. Um, I like, he can put a tackle in and he can win a ball very clearly. I do like that. Um, you, sort of a lost art in today's game, the, the ability to go to the floor and win a slide tackle and then you know the the sort of gracefulness to actually get up within one movement and the ball be at your feet it's it's an underrated skill um, it seems to have been faded up the game you know because 
you know, how dare you actually challenge someone and take the ball off them. Um, as you say, the, the midfield is stacked um, at the moment. You know, fitness dependent. It, hopefully, it stays that way, um, and they all are available options for the majority of the season. I think we're only missing Thiago at the moment, um, who you know maybe he's taking up Naby's place on the physio table. It seems and just can't get fit. But fingers crossed, we can we can see him on the pitch soon because. You know, whatever people do say about him, he is probably the most technically gifted player that we've got at the team with the ball at his feet. Um, and yeah, Trent does need a rest at times. I think we've seen at the weekend, um, Joe Gomez can play right back, but he can't play that sort of, you know, attacking inverted role that Trent plays because Joe's ability on the ball just isn't as good as Trent's. Um, but I also think the team itself if we are going to play Trent Alexander-Arnold or we are going to you know, drop in Stefan Bissetic into that role the left back probably needs to be a bit more um, headstrong I would say you know, they need, they need to be aware of of their position on the field um, so last night Costa Simicus was dropped in and with all due respect to him he had a, a bit of a ropey game um, is probably the nicest way to put it but We've got two attacking left-backs in Trent and Robertson, and I think there was calls in the summer for, you know, if we are going to play this sort of formation, we probably do need someone with a bit more defensive mindset than, than Andy Robertson if you, if you want to try and keep the back door sort of closed because we haven't got, you know, a natural defensive midfielder who's willing to just stand there and kick people and win the ball back. We've got all winners in there but you know they like to be ball players as well so it, it's a bit of a gamble however you would like to think especially in the Europa group stage you know with, with all due respect to the teams we've got we, we should be beating them home and away so it's an opportunity for Stefan to step in and learn, learn that role and maybe give you know Trent an option um, to, to not be playing week in week out and we've seen he's, he's got an injury now fingers crossed he's back within the next game or two so you know it it is going to be needed so it's a, probably an experiment worth worth going along with and, he, and he's young enough to adapt and if it doesn't work out you know he's got plenty of time on the side to, to probably slot back into a more natural midfield role which we've seen him in, in the past so I wouldn't be too concerned but it's one that we could probably play with between now and Christmas. I think the thing I, lo- I love most about him is that Apart from maybe one or two occasions last season, um, you don't look at him and think he's a kid. He doesn't play like a kid. He doesn't look like overawed or, or, I mean, even sometimes like cocky as well. You sometimes get kids who come in and they're just that little bit too cocky, like, oh God, I've made it now. And then they just make a complete mess of everything um, because they've got a bit too cocky. Just like you get the others who are sort of like spending 90 minutes watching their idols on the same pitch as them. He's, he's not got that about him. He's just coming to the team whenever he's been called up on. And, you know, 90% of the time, maybe more, he's just got on and done the job and looked like he's been in the team for years, looked like he's meant to be there. Um, and that's the kind of sort of attitude I think you want from from our youngsters. You know, you want them to come in and just be that right balance between, you know, understanding that we need them in there to do a job and also, you know, just just don't be too cocky. Don't assume that you've made it yet because, you know, there's not one player in that team who can go out and not put a shift in and think that they'll just get another game because that doesn't happen. And that goes all the way up to, like, the, you know, 
the top end of like you know Mo Salah. If Mo Salah has a shit game, he's going to get dropped. I mean, I think it is less likely that Klopp will just drop him. You're more likely to have a word and see what the issue was. But if it was ever down to him not putting the effort in, which it seems weird with Mo, but if that ever happened, you can guarantee you wouldn't play the next game because that's that's the thing you want. You want the effort and you want the ability. You want the understanding. Um, the other thing I thought was great last night though as well was Diaz getting a, getting a start and it just reminded me how much we've missed him. Yeah, I think well regarding the effort thing, we've said many a times like you know downfield crowd will appreciate any player who puts hundred percent in. Yeah, you know. You might, you might be having a bad day. Your touch might be off, you know. But if you're putting your your hundred percent effort in, you're putting a shift in, you're getting about the field, you're doing everything that you can to, you know, try and make a difference. The crowd would appreciate you. Um, yeah. You know, and and you quickly found out if you're not. You know, we, we've had players basically a revolving door. They came in, you know, forty with the 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 Billy Big Balls, and you know, blasted about the pitch, you know, in a red shirt, and it's an honour. You know, people would, would do anything to wear that red shirt, you know, and to be able to be a select few players who can um, as a professional footballer, you know, those lads and ladies who stand all around the ground and pay the hard-earned money just want to see 100% efforts. And if you're not putting the effort in, then, you know, you're basically out the club um, because it won't be tolerated. And that's just how, because it's Liverpool Football Club, it's just a mentality of where we are. You know, it, it's a scouting, I think, you know, if you're, yeah. you're willing to graft you're willing to you know try your best and work hard then then people just appreciate your efforts and if you're not you know you are you're basically pulled <laughs> and 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 a word is odd um, so you know that's just just a mentality I think that we expect from our club and Luis Diaz is, is one that epitomises that you know there's there's no lack in efforts in his game you know we he has moments when things don't come off but he sort of you know has a little word of himself head down go again go again go again and he never stops he's relentless and you know if we think back 12 months ago nine months ago or something and there was a lot of people saying Liverpool was struggling because they sold Sadio Mane and for me Liverpool was struggling because Luis Diaz was injured like Sadio Mane as great as a player as he was for us was on the decline Mm -hmm. and we seen that, you know, arguably some people will say we should have sold them twelve months earlier. However, we sold them when we did. Um we got, you know, a fee for them that some people may say was short, um, of what we probably could have got for a player of his ability. However, Lewis Diaz had come into the team, you know, in the January, hit the ground running and was exceptional. And when we lost him last season, I think it was away to Arsenal and he was missing for several months that's when we struggled like we had no out ball you can give that ball to Luis Diaz and he holds it he takes a player on you know he integrates with the players he progresses up the pitch he is an X factor and that's where we'd replace Sadio Mane and because we were missing Diaz it was being highlighted you know the easy lazy journalism that Mane was the one that we were missing but it weren't so when I see him on the pitch he does excite you. He's a player who gets you, you know, on your feet, and you know, those things that you know sometimes it's highly unexpected might not come off. It does come off, but he's not for the one of lack of trying. And to wear the number seven shirt, we've obviously referenced loads of times that the power of the number shirts for Liverpool. But he's more than worthy of wearing that number seven shirt for Liverpool. So I'm 
I'm very happy that he is a Liverpool player and he's fit and he's available and he's performing and he's doing things that Sadio Mane used to do, which is get in the box and put goals in the back of the net. Yeah, there's been a couple of people who borrowed that number seven shirt and just should not have had it. You know, he needed an asterisk at the side of it. You know, this is not one of our number sevens. This is just someone who happens to have the shirt at the moment. I'd say doesn't need an asterisk on his. He's, he's um, you know, I mean, I'm not overstating him, but, you know, he's as exciting to watch as some of the other players we've had in that shirt down the years and definitely more exciting than, say, I don't know, Nigel Clough. We had it for a little bit, <laughs> you know. I, I can think of some great names. I mean, my my, my sort of youngest memories. I've sort of got a few young memories of being a red, and I can just remember being crestfallen that Kevin Keegan was leaving, um, and then this guy was coming in who I'd never heard of and couldn't say his name. Um, that was Kenny Dalglish, and did you know one number seven made way for another number seven, and the rest is history. I think um, if there were any doubts at that time that Liverpool had made the right decision to swap one for the other and get a bit of cash left over. Um, they were soon forgotten. Yeah, um, we definitely did the best out of that deal. And you're right. We, I mean, with Sadio, that was an example of, um, you know, you look at your squad and you think, right, when a player's on the way down, what do we do? Do we get a little bit more out of him and then let him go on a free? That's always one option, clearly. Um, and we've done that with some. Um, the other option is get rid of them when you can get some kind of a fee. And to me, Diaz opened the door for Mane to go. Basically, once we got Diaz in and we saw what he could do, um, it gave us the option to move him on and, you know, look forward to the next phase of this team. And um, and that was another encouragement, I think, from from what I've seen this last couple of games is, um, you know, we, we, we've got players in here for the future. There's so many players here that, you know, we've, how many have we named tonight, just talking about last game, last night's game, that weren't around last year. Um, and then you add on top of that the young lads coming through um, who've maybe played a little bit last season playing a little bit more you know there's still more to come from them or you would imagine so thinking of Elliot thinking of Jones they you know they're the players for the future um, it is promising um, as long as we don't worry and dwell too much on the defence I mean you're right we've said it before um, if you're going to play a kind of three at the back during parts of the game you really want the three you know the third defender if you like that's that's been left out the original of four to have that sort of centre-back mentality and I definitely don't think the Greek scouser as he calls himself has got that sort of mentality um, I think he does put the effort in though and I think that's maybe why there's still a certain bit of love for him but no one puts the yeah. effort in you know you, you can't fault his efforts I think you know again we, we, we said earlier on it players are rusty because they've not played Yeah, and I, I couldn't tell you the last time Simicus got a game for us possibly the back end of last season um, and probably know, cameos as well he's probably coming at the end of a game or something yeah yeah. he's, he's, he's probably not started a game for, for nine or six months I'd imagine like a competitive fixture for us so you know you, you can you can maybe cut him a little bit of slack there but it it's an opportunity now I think like you said you know there's, there's games to come and hopefully you know it, last night was a case of of getting the ring rust off on a lot of people um, and allowing them, you know, that chance to, you know, blow the cobweb away. And we've got games going thick and fast. And maybe now in, in a couple of games' time, when, you know, Simica starts again, um, you know, the, the likes of Setter starts again, Endo, whatever, you know, these these lads who looked a little bit off the pace will probably be fine. So I, I wouldn't worry too much. And yet, the, the Greek scouts it certainly does live up to the name of, you know, the Scouts application in terms of he does always want to try. So, you know, he will be he will be forgiven for for sometimes not being 
you know, the best technically performing on the day, but if he's willing to stand there and try, then that's all good for us. Yeah, I mean, the 3-1 last night, I think, as I said, I started watching movie losing 1-0, and I was worried a little bit, but then when I sort of started to put things together, I just felt like, you know, we're going to get this, we'll get this, we'll get this worked out. Second half, some changes came along, and it just made sure of it, and... um I would say that as that game went on, I didn't really feel too worried about it. Even though, you know, Cueves was called up for that amazing save that would have been offside anyway, but you've got to make the save. You don't know, you know, place the whistle and all of that. You've got to make the save, and he did. Showed that he's a decent, definitely a decent understudy to, to Alisson. Um, definitely someone we can be glad we've got in case anything does happen to Alisson for any games. But the game on Saturday, I definitely didn't feel like that until, I don't know, five minutes from the end of... Um, normal time it felt we were getting back into it we were looking confident we 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 were basically I don't know we looked a mess in the first half we just didn't seem ready for it um, post international break early kickoff. Um I mean I commented a couple of times that I feel we've over egged it a little bit going on about you have an international break you have a European game you come back you're the first game on the Saturday I get it it's bad we shouldn't be having to do that something should be done but I feel the more that we're going on about it, the more it's kind of fitting into us. Like, you know, oh yeah, now you mention it, I am a bit tired. Whereas maybe if you haven't keep saying it, the players will be thinking, no, I'm all right, I can do this. Um, if it was a three o'clock kickoff, you're talking a couple of hours later. Everything else, you know, a couple of hours later. And I get it, I, I totally get that there's a big difference between a 12.30 and a three on a Saturday. But I feel like, you know, we need to stop going on about it quite so much in the press and, you know, do what we've always done which is certainly on the clock so often on the clock that something shit happens bad referee unlucky goal dodgy injury because of some goalkeeper who kicks your defender and thinks it's okay um whatever it is generally speaking we, we react to that we deal with it we think all right okay that's just happened right okay we're liverpool we'll deal with this and we'll sort it and that's, I think, the subtle change I want to see from us when we get more of these, because I think we've got another load of them, as you were saying earlier. We've got loads of these now this season. We can't change it. Football's not going to change it. It's too lucrative to have these games on at half 12 in certain parts of the world. It's peak time viewing. Liverpool, they want that on. So it's not going to change. We've just got to get on with it and say, yeah, stuff you, Premier League up yours, um, BT, TNT, whatever. This is, yeah, you've done this to us, but so what? We'll manage. Yeah, I don't think... I think the issue more is the coming off the international break. I don't think there should be a 12.30 kick-off. Um, you know, there's the obviously TV obligation rights, and as you say, it's it's prime time viewing it. I think it's, you know, central to the Asian sort of market, um, you know, as to why there's a 12.30 on a Saturday, and then, you know, the, the Sunday 4.30 is prime time view more towards, you know, the Latin South American market and North American, you know, where they can... You can get that viewing in before, you know, myself as an NFL fan starts at Sunday six o'clock. So you can get the majority of the Sunday gaming um, before the NFL starts in Sunday in America. And that basically dominates all football, all sports channels over there. Yeah. But coming off an international break, I don't think there should be a 1230. I think it, it should just be blanket three o'clock onwards. Um, you know, because as Klopp rightly referenced, you know, we've got players who travel to South America. Um, and they're getting back Thursday, maybe even Friday, you know. And in the case of of Alexis McAllister, you know, coming back from playing twelve thousand feet altitude, and then 
I would imagine something bordering on like you know a 16 hour flight or something like that or maybe multiple flights you don't know like if he's had to go from Bolivia to somewhere else to connect into Europe or whatever whether they flew to you know possibly Madrid or somewhere like that and then on to back onto England so it's if he's actually just out of his security queue at Manchester that's the bar like isn't it oh if he's done that then he's probably <laughs> you know he's probably only got back half an hour before we kicked off I mean Kai texted me mate on Saturday oh and you know half an hour into the game in fact, I'm sure Alexis just got off the plane in Birmingham and just went straight to Wolves and yeah. and went for kickoff because he, he was ropey um, but yes you know I think us making an issue of it on one hand it's fact you know we've we've had a serious amount more fixtures yeah. since Klopp's been here at half 12 than any other team but at the same time if Klopp is going to make an issue out of it you know, and, and publicise it. It's you know eating into the hands of the journalists and the media, and it's easy clickbait for them. You know, easy story, easy sell. Yeah. Um, the best way to deal with it is just to win. So we did last weekend, and then our next twelve face game off after the international break again is at home to Everton. Um, you know, we all know what we expect from that fixture. Not ideal. You don't want a derby that early. I mean, I know. They are scheduled for early kickoffs for you know pleasing reasons and whatever and so forth. But you know, twelve thirty on a Saturday, it it ruins your weekend for the Evertonians when we win. Um, you know, when they all get angry and you know they got all weekend to stew on it. Um, but it does it does just take away a little bit of you know the edge of the atmosphere of of a derby game. You know, I like them on the the four thirty on a Sunday. Um, you know, you've had your weekend you've enjoyed it whatever way forward and then you know you, you've got that game that you build up to all day Sunday but getting up on a Saturday morning and lashing the bacon butty down your neck and then getting the ground for you know just on 11 o'clock it does just seem a little bit alien so there's not much we can do we get on with them as long as we win them I don't think it'll be made too much of an issue on and Europa football on a Thursday night will probably then mean less of them to come hopefully in the duration of the season Hello I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think the other thing they can do is they can they can change what... But there's a rule somewhere in the football that says if you're playing on a Thursday, you don't play on the Saturday. And it's it's done in days. They do this in days. So it's almost as if you've got to have... You know, they try and make sure you've got two clear days between a game. Um, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe it shouldn't just be like... For, it should be... Um, and if I say two clear days, I mean, you've got... You're playing a Thursday. You, if you're playing away. You might not get in until, say, 2 a.m. Friday morning. And you play Sunday at two, and that could be an away fixture. So, 
So really, you've only got Saturday as a totally clear day from all of that. And one way, I don't know, if the European games, just just add a beer on. If you've had international, you had players involved in internationals, add a beer on. So it's not, um, it's so it's not possible to play at that time. If you say it's forty-eight hours, that's not enough. You know, just add, add a few hours on. So the earliest you can kick off a game. Um, I mean, two o'clock. We play two o'clock on a Sunday. If we played on a Thursday, that's that's generally the kind of standard fixture, probably for TV reasons, so they can have all the games slotted in nicely. Um, if you said that, the earliest you can play is two o'clock after you've had disruption in midweek. You know, without a gap in between, that would that would cut it down as well. And it's not it's not rocket science. And I know I totally get that they've got these other markets that they're aiming for. And you know everyone's paying a good bit of money to to get rights to the game and stuff like that. But what kind of product is it going to be to keep messing about with it? That's that's the trouble. Um, but at the same time, we've got to we've got to kind of suck it up, really. And as long as Klopp going to the team and not saying to them, "Oh, you're all tired." I mean, I, I want him to be going to the team and saying, "Never mind, how knackered you feel. You want to see the state of them." You know the way Shanks would have done in years gone by. But that yeah, you've you know you've got to you've got to use your motivation. You've got to flip it and, yeah. and use it as, as a product for your motivation. So, you know, Wolves might not have had, you know, many players going South America, if any at all. You know, they went, Huang maybe went and played for South Korea. I don't know where South Korea played with all due respect in the last week in their international fixtures. And they probably had a couple of lads may have went to Portugal because the half Portuguese Wolverhampton Wonders anyway. But, you know, I could say, look, approach you from the angle of like, yeah, right. Well, you went and played for Argentina, or you went and played for Brazil because you're damn good enough. These haven't got any of these lads who play for Argentina and Brazil. You know why? Because you're better than them. Yeah, yeah. And and that can be your motivation. And you know, it's just a natural thing. If someone says to you, "Are you feeling tired?" You probably think, well, "Am I feeling tired?" Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Where you know, if you say, you know, you're, you're all right, you're good, you're better than these, you sort of gene yourself up and. Don't put that thought of potentially being tired in someone's head. You know, it's reverse psychology. And, you know, mm. if you think something, then you co- you possibly can be that. But if you don't, you know, and you, you try and use it as a as a motivator, then, you know, it can work in a positive effect. So it's just a bit of clever wording. And, you know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but Klopp saying that lads were going to be tired and then the performance we put in that first four five minutes it does marry into one another. So, you know, it, it's not helping. Um, but I'm sure those fellas are paid handsomely to figure out situations and resolutions better yeah. than what you and I can do on the airwaves, you know, and that's why they're in positions of of paid jobs that they are and we're not. Yeah, that's it. We we, we, we spend an hour sort of chewing the fat over it all and coming up with ideas. Um, and then we go off and get on with whatever we were doing before, whereas they're doing that every day of the week. Um, you know, probably not resting at all, even when they're not working, it's probably on the head. Um, and I, I, and I, let's be honest, no matter any amount of psychology couldn't have got McAllister through that game. He must have been absolutely knackered. Um, but, you know, it, it's um, it's not good enough to, to start games like that. But I think what I really liked most about it, more than anything, was that whatever happened at half-time, the, the bollocking that was dished out had the effect you know the tweaks to how to play had the effect he wasn't just um you know talking about being tired he wasn't just a, a bollocking it was just we made the right changes that i don't know we we came out second half rejuvenated and those players when we did the podcast last we were talking about anyone to worry about from them and i'd forgotten about neto in all honesty he worried us the first half 
uh, second half, I thought he'd gone gone home. Jim. It was cliche. It was a game of two hours, and you hate to use them, you know, very cheap cliches. But it generally was, and I think, I think you were on Raw yourself, and, you, and yeah. it was it was well documented. You know, the the change in in just one person uh, from McAllister with Diaz, but it was the change in shape, the change in tactics, the change of approach in terms of Gomez not being an inverted right back and being a more natural right back, and and closing down that avenue of space where Neto was getting a lot of joy you know being five yards closer to um, just made a hell of a lot of difference and you know actually having a more more balanced midfield and a bit more active legs and when Zobot's like dropped in there next to Jones and having Elliot sort of sat partially you know in front of, of Gomez in a more right midfield role it, it worked um, and credit to Klopp and the team for doing that you know identifying you know, it's not going right and this needs to change and we can change it by changing one player. We can completely restructure our tactical approach and I did like the way also, you know, when we got the leveller through Gapo, it was regardless, you know, it would have been easy then for him to tell Darwin and Elliot to sit down and give another five or ten, but no, he went on, he pressed on and he changed it again. Um, you know, and, and we, we went for the kill. Um, Pedro Neto is, is an odd one. <laughs> he he can do that and obviously I think he's he's created the most chances in the league this season but then it only highlights Wolves deficiency in front of goal um, probably summed up perfectly in that one one moment that Cunha yeah. didn't really want to head the ball and didn't really want to know what to do if he stands there it literally bounces off his head and goes in but you know trying to be too too cute maybe and, and going for you know a nice headed finish mid-air he sort of got himself all in a mess but I think you know Wolves probably will be okay this season um, and there was lads there who we, we didn't even know obviously we mentioned Neto but there's a lad there Bellegarde in midfield who, who looked lively for 45-60 minutes for them and um, caused a lot of problems running off the back of our midfield and if you'd asked me who he was I wouldn't have had any idea until he lined up in that Wolf shirt the other day so you know, maybe a naivety on our part, but teams like Wolves turn over players so quickly. Um, you know, you, you kind of do get lost to bulbs who they've got and who they haven't got. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the, the approach that we made in the second half is a is a shining light toward the quality in our squad, um, not only for the, the players we've got, but also the the tactical mouse and awareness to be able to change things up and, and be a better team. Um, and it happened last night, you know, we we had to introduce a couple of players against Lask and you know when, when Saboz Lyon went later on when Salah come on like Salah looked like a man playing with boys like he'd come on and he just looked like a different class and yeah he shouldn't be I know we'll, we'll, we don't want to discuss this but you know like, if he went to Saudi now he's too damn good for that league you know like, he's still got years at the top because he's he's in such a physical shape he can do it and if he was thinking like you know what that's probably the level of opposition he's going to face in Saudi Mar maybe a couple of teams might have you know a couple of star players dotted about but he's far too good to go there he shouldn't be considering that option obviously it's only financially motivated or whatever and maybe a couple of other external motivational factors but for football reasons he's, he's levels above that and it shouldn't be a consideration for me and you know if he can 
look at the bigger picture and think, well, I'll tell you what, I'll drag Liverpool along with other players to the Europa League and win it. The start we've made in the league is positive. And if we can know, I think we should be definitely, at the moment, we've we've got a good setup and a, and a good way of playing, albeit with a few negatives. And we're still winning games. You know, we we, sh- we should find ourselves back amongst the top four pretty easily next season. Uh, this season, you know, the, there's an opportunity there then to to push on again. And I think Klopp referenced it last week. It was it's not year eight of Klopp anymore. It's year one of this team. Mm. So so he's planning for, for you know for your big things. And you know, th- th- there's a lot of lot of things going in the right direction. So I, I'm, I'm positive about what we've got going on. Yeah, I mean Salah as well. He needs little mentorship of Harvey Elliott. Come, come. They can't bring that to an end. And he's too young to go to Saudi. Probably wouldn't go anyway. Um, you forget, but you just see sometimes in games. I just, I just see these like, like Salah was fuming about something, and then he realised it was Elliot, and he was like, it wasn't really Elliot's fault anyway. But he was sort of so sort of nice to Elliot, and just these little things you just see with him. And you're right. Um, I mean, footballers are motivated by the competition. Um, I've heard it from loads of ex-players that the thing they hated most when it came to an end was just not, you know, having the routine was one thing, but then just not having something to compete for. That's why they all end up taking golf and things like that. That's why they'll sort of put themselves through hell to turn up and play in a Masters game because um, they just miss that. That is what they've been brought up with all the way through their lives is this competitive thing and, and they lose it. And you're right, if, if Salah went there, that would be like, you know, it's like when you see one of the you know a lot of young kids on a park and then some someone like six seven years older comes along and just runs rings around them it's that kind of thing with him um in saudi it would just be the same he's not at that stage i think people are forgetting that yeah for some players of that age maybe that's the point they're at i just think with him you've got a player who's really five years younger than what it says on his age he's just that's just how i feel he is because he's looked after himself so well and that's why you know, as you say, there's so many other factors could come into it, but I just the whole Saudi thing seems like a bit far fetched to me. Um, unless they're going to spend so much money that they bring their whole league up to that level, which I don't think even they've got the cash to do that. I mean, maybe that's their end game, you know, to to create a league that is competitive with those in Europe, um, and maybe they're doing it at, a, at an accelerated rate, but. You know, I I look at the MLS and they have, you know, their, their end game is to have a, have a league as competitive as those in Europe. And slowly each year, you know, they, you look back at David Beckham went there and he was one of the big first names. And then, you know, our own Steven Gerrard went over there for a year or so. And, you know, you've seen other players slowly trip free into that league from Europe. And there's been a couple of players going there, you know, arguably in the prime or at younger years and now Lionel Messi's there he's obviously only going to elevate the, the status of the MLS but they're doing it on a slow you know sort of slow trajectory and, and they've got a lot of teams now across the league you know franchises as they call them um, and building up and trying to create a, a level of competitiveness now obviously they don't have the same sort of structure as the European leagues in terms of uh, promotion and relegations but it's taken them years to get to this point where now people are probably having a look at the MLS thinking, wouldn't mind watching that. Where, you know, unless you are following a player, are you going to be sat down on, you know, a Saturday afternoon and think, actually, I'm not going to watch the Premier League tonight, so I'll go and watch Al Etifak versus Al Nasser. 
unless you're there specifically to watch a player, it's not something that's going to you know wet your appetite and they can throw all the cash at that that they want at it. It may work, but it also may do what China did and you know boom and bust within about four years, which you know it wouldn't be a surprise if they did do that and maybe then players will see that you know you can get get a payday. Yeah, excuse me, but you know it's it's not to be all and end all because you can't take away you know European nights. You can't take away you know competitiveness of fixtures you know within Europe not not just like obviously the Premier League games but you know you look at games across like Italy and Germany and Spain where big teams go to other teams who not necessarily aren't like you know rivals in terms of a derby or whatever but it's just a competitive edge and it even looked like last night Europa League Ajax versus Marseille was a later game that I, I, I kept half an eye on 3-3 but that was a game that's probably, you know, fit to grace the Champions League group stages when you look at some of the teams who were in, in the group stages this year. But that's the second tier European competition as it's labelled this season. And you can't get that in Saudi. You know, with all due respect, you're not getting that in the MLS at the moment. So, no. you know, that's European football. It's why it's the pinnacle. And that's why you find all the best players are still in Europe. Yeah. I mean, looking at looking at our fixtures now, so... I think we, we to be fair, I mean, I, I might be wrong, but the way I'd read it was Laska probably the toughest team we're up against in our group, which is a load of, it doesn't mean anything about how the results are going to turn out or how the games are going to be played, but um, I think they were the highest seeded, unless I misunderstood the always overcomplicated draw stuff that was going on. Um, but even so, looking at, I mean, the way I've got our, our fixtures in front of me, the kind of um, little rows of two, so we had Wolves and Lask, you know, so a sort of strong team and a weaker team. Then we've got West Ham, Leicester, strong team, weak team, Tottenham, uh, Union, San Gilwaz, however you pronounce it. Again, stronger team, weaker team. Then it's Brighton, Everton, stronger team, weaker team, maybe. <laughs> um, but they, I mean, that Everton game is a month off now, and hopefully in full, in front of a full Anfield, because from what we can gather, that's the aim now to get the stand uh, fully open by then. It gives them a month. But we have got some games between then and the next two games we've got are both at home, both both before we're likely to do a podcast. Um, West Ham in the league, Leicester in the EFL Cup. And I think, you know, when we look at the last two games and you think stronger stronger team, weaker team, it's probably what's going to happen now. Um, But what would your stronger team be for West Ham, given what you've seen in the last couple of games? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. 
Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Um, I think the, the key thing is, is Trent Alexander-Arnold fit enough? Um, that, that's the question, I think, on everyone's lips. And as we record this, it's currently half one on a Friday afternoon and Klopp's yet to do his press conference. Um, the team landed back at Liverpool last night around 11.30. So, you know, just referencing as you did earlier on, like, playing away in Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, landed back at Liverpool at 11.30. Most of them players probably got back to their own beds somewhere between 1 and one thirty because obviously they've got to go from the airport back to probably the training facility where the cars are and then back home to wherever they live. So, you'd imagine today is a recovery session for the lads and Klopp will probably do his press conference sometime probably five minutes after we were finished recording and give us yeah. some nuggets. Um, but we're all waiting to see what is the availability of Trent. He was running the other day um, on the training ground, so is he close or not? Um, if if Trent's available, I'd imagine he probably slots back in for West Ham, won't feature against Leicester. And then, you know, we've got spares a week Saturday um, away from home, which is probably where he then will start again. So, you know... The big fellow back in goal, um, Robertson left back, Kanata and Verge will probably start, I imagine, at centre half. Um, Trent Fertie starts, Gomez otherwise. Um, I think the midfield three will be the same midfield that started against Wolves because uh, Jones didn't feature at all against Lask. Uh, Zaboslai and McAllister, off the top of my head, got roughly around 30 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that. So, you know, I, I'm sure McAllister's fully recovered now from his uh, exploits and he'll be ready to go. Um, and that gives us flexibility in midfield. We've seen, you know, we went to a two with Sabozlai and Jones. It worked perfectly well. McAllister can, can drop in. McAllister can also play further up the field, which I think has been overlooked. Um, you know, he did play a lot there for Brighton and he can do things further up the pitch. So, you know, there's a rotational three there. You know, they can all drop in and do a more defensive job, a more disciplined job, but you can also progress the ball up the field and do do bits up there as well. So that that's a good balance I think we've got for now. And then I think the front three that we we finished the game with last night, uh, Diaz, Darwin and Salah, I think is our best front three at the moment on, on form. You know, they, they all got a goal last night. Um, with all due respect to Gapo and Jota against Wolves, very sort of muted performance from both although Gapo got the goal and Jota was you know influential in sort of creating it on for Salah um, you don't quite feel the X factor there with those lads and they, they can bring it um, I think against you know a David Moyes West Ham team who are probably going to come to Anfield you know with Michael Antonio holding his big fork in the air saying they're going to finish above us and David Moyes is probably trying to rein it in <laughs> so, you know he will set up with a flat back four at standard. Um, he will try and keep it tight. And with those lads, you've got the ability to go in behind. You've got the ability to come short. You've got the ball carrying ability. What we're seeing from Darwin, I think, is more than impressive is the ability to, to league play. Um, you know, he's quite happy to come, stand, receive, lay it off, and spin in. And he does seem to be getting a lot more all rounders. And it's good to see. Um, I, I would say that people underestimate the, the impact it has when you've got a play like that. Um, defenders 
just shitting themselves when he's in and around the box. And even if he's not finishing chances, he's distracting them. He's, he's drawing people away. Um, he's causing chaos. Yeah, and I, I mean, I mean, West Ham um, lined up last night, you know, um, with a with a flat back four of Tiro Kerr, Mavropanos, who they brought in from Stuttgart, Og Bonner, and Cresswell. Um, on the bench, they had Nathan Gerd, who's probably their nominal best centre half. Uh, Vladimir Sufal, who probably will be the right back. Um, and Kerr Truman was on the bench also, you know, the, the famous cat kicker, okay, um, which we. Which brings me back to last season and the, the comedy moments, if, if anyone can remember it, where I think there was a couple of people in the main stand that had like a huge um, course out of a cat and was like, you know, every time Zoom got the ball, they were like, the, the cop was singing, a cat, a cat, a cat. And yet it was, it it's just humour. It, it It's not unless that we expect it from our fan base. No. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get it again. If he starts on Sunday, you'll get it again. Um, because other people will have forgot that, but I'm sure you know members on on the cop won't have forgot that. Um, and yet, the, the, just the ability to to come short, go behind, hold positions wide as well. You know, you mentioned Diaz earlier on, and Salah, they can stay wide, they can drag the pitch. And okay, last last night, and not the quality of West Ham, but Sabozlai when he come on, just his ability to get the ball and drive through the middle of the field, and up the shit up defenders because they don't know what he's going to do no you know he, he can shoot he can pass he can you know link a little one two he can break into the box I, I, I reckon you know he's not even playing at 100% yes Dominic's a boss I reckon he's, he's probably holding a bit back I'd say he's only about 80 75% of what he can do for us so yeah I, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to Sunday and, and I fancy us you know big time because you know, we're, we're used to to sort of playing in the routine of every few days of the team that West Ham. I think we've seen over the last couple of years have done well in Europe. Obviously, Conference League winners last season, but it did take a knock on their league and um, performances at times. Um, so, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, and it's the cup final as well for the manager. Basically, I mean, for all, I mean, he has won trophies since he um, since he lived in these in these parts, but. Um, the people he was working for when he lived in these parts haven't and I don't know I, I can't look at him without thinking of Everton basically he was Everton for such a long time and he was the Everton manager pretending to be crestfallen when Rafa had said something about um, setting up against smaller teams and how smaller teams play um, pretending to be affronted by it all you know offended by it all when you know that's basically what he's done I can remember this semi-final in the FA Cup that year when we were having a really bad run at the time. I think Andy Carroll was in the team at the time. That's that's where we were. We're having a bad run, um, not great. And he didn't like the idea that all of a sudden Liverpool were being spoken about as underdogs. He hated that. Uh, yet, if Rafa sort of called him a smaller team, it was the end of the world. Um, and you can guarantee, as soon as he has any kind of outburst on the touchline on Sunday, there'll be shouts of uh, blue and white shite and all the rest of it. But talk- You do know David Moyes is actually only 36. Isn't just because he managed Everton? Yeah, <laughs> it, we- it wears on the face. <laughs> no, obviously he's not. He born the day they last won a trophy, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be too far away. <laughs> but God, yeah. I mean, talking of that, though, what's going on with them? I mean, we we have to sort of check in on them, don't we? And the sort of um, yeah. I mean, let me get the lead table up and let me just see how good they are. I'm going just scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Scroll- oh, here we are. Um, third from bottom and the two teams below them have, all, have played a game left 
Oh dear. Um, <laughs> it's probably the best way to describe it. Um, I think realistically, you know, they played Arsenal at home in the last weekend and, you know, people were banding around the stat that in the last five visits um, to Goodison for Arsenal, well, one, they'd been fighting from managers that, that they'd faced um, and Arsenal team had faced through Everton. Um, but Arsenal had not won in five visits to Goodison. Um, yeah. And I think it was possibly Dyche's first game last season or first win was at home to Arsenal last season um, you know, so there was a call for optimism but you know hard fought game um, Arsenal were the better team on the day ran out the winners um, arguably should have had more than what they did um, but yeah things aren't looking good and there's loose reports around that you know this 7-7-7 takeover that they're getting um, which we touched on last week don't sound like the most cleanest of owners um, but financially Everton is struggling and there was I say a loose report I don't know the validity of it that the, these uh, incoming potential takeover partners or whatever have had to stump up some cash because Everton is short for cash flow um, which which doesn't bode well um, considering where they are in the league um, you know if they fell through the trap door the cash flow goes down significantly, so you know it. It doesn't look good for them. Um, they've got a, a tricky fixture this weekend away at Brentford and five thirty on Saturday. If anyone's at a loose end and doesn't want to watch any Saudi football, that might be worth a watch because you know if anyone's seen Monday Night Football with Thomas Frank and um, Jamie Carragher, a manager who we respect speaks very well, um, very tactically astute, very knowledgeable about the game and um, you know we give some clues away about how he how he approaches things um, and how they change their tactics for when they play what we call the, the bigger teams um, but, but he's a good manager he's got a good team there he's got a good set of lads and I can't see Everton getting a victory away at Brentford so the struggle goes on um, and the trap door looms and you know Luton and is a Sheffield tonight no Luton and Burnley who are beneath them, Sheffield United above them based on goal difference. You know, they are going to pick up points somewhere. Uh, it would be nice if this weekend if, if Burnley endured more pain on, on the Manks who they face on Saturday night and looting at home to Wolves. You know, we've seen Wolves troubles in front of goal at the weekend. Um, looting at home are going to have to pick up a couple of points somewhere. It, it could be could be a weekend where we find Everton bottom of the table and, and would we be surprised? No. And would we enjoy it? Absolutely. I know, and Wolves are actually only two points above Everton. And I don't think they're that bad. What we saw of them, you know, they, they, they have got things to sort out. They do need to sort of remember that it's all well and good doing all, great, all the great build-up towards the goal, but you actually need to get it in there as well. Um, saying that, though, I mean, Everton have scored two goals all season, two, which, you know, in five games, it's just, it's horrendous. We'd be, we'd be worried about that. I mean, we... You know, we 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 scored three in each of the last two games. Just just quickly off the top of my head, um, Wolves have scored. What they scored? They've scored five goals. So even though we, we're sort of saying they're bad in front of the goal, they've managed five. It's just it just feels like you know, unless something changes massively for Everton now, and it doesn't seem likely because all that money coming in, if there is money, if it does turn out to be good money and all the rest of it, they can't do a thing with it before Christmas. So by then you know there's all the, always that sort of stat and I know it's not always true but most of the time the teams that's at the bottom 
by Christmas goes down and with Burnley and Luton below him there's every chance that they will be bottom by the time Christmas comes and that yeah um, we'll not laugh too much anyway um, thinking into the future a little bit we might be um, we might be short of a derby in a couple of seasons so we'll be sort of looking at other things to watch and maybe one of the things to watch would be the EFL trophy because our lads we'll just quickly go over that our young lads played in that and it's a, um, it's not the EFL Cup it's kind of one below it and it's teams in sort of lower down the league system that play in it um, but still league clubs and what Liverpool and some of the top flight clubs have done is put a sort of under 23 or under 21 team into it which I know it's controversial maybe that's for another show some fans of lower down the ta- down the league system clubs don't like the idea um, but I think it's perfect we were talking the other week about the young lads not getting games and how playing at the academy in front of 500 people is not the same as playing at Anfield or even at any other away fixture and we beat Morecambe 3-0 first time we've won in it I hope we're going to take it seriously because this is just what we need and you know if we can catch coverage of it we can get maybe to see some of the young lads that's going to be lining up in future European games for us like we saw last night yeah I mean albeit there was only 1600 people in attendance at Morecambe on Tuesday night to see this game (laughs) but you know I suppose it's a pack I suppose those 1600 in a venue like that probably feels a bit more bit louder you know you know, in their in their little group that they've got, um, Blackpool and Barrow. So I can't imagine you're going to get overly much turnout at Barrow, with all due respect to them. Um, but but Blackpool, you know, it's it's an opportunity there for these kids. You know, I'm not sure if Critchley's still there as manager, but he, you know, he, he had a spell there. We've sort of you know got a a connection where we did send a few managers there. Yeah, Neil Critchley is still there, and you know, it's, and, where, we, it's where we got Charlie Adam from. Let's not drag this podcast down. We've had a good one. Um, you know, th- these lads have got an opportunity to sort of, you know, get somewhere in this competition. I'm not sure how it sort of works in terms of going on through group stages and whatever. Um, I know it's sort of a north-south divide, but, you know, teams enter the, their under-21s into this competition, um, you know, and it's an opportunity for, for young boys to play, you know, men's football, as it normally is, is labelled, and... Um, Bobby Clark got himself on, on the score sheet did nice uh, Mozalowski got himself on the score sheet and I think I'm missing the last one which was Callum Scanlon who we did see in pre-season as well um, sometimes left winger sometimes left back um, you know names that are, are familiar to, to Liverpool fans you know as as youngsters who've got potential and seeing them them play and, and get goals and get a victory um, can, only, can only lead to positive things for us and I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these lads found themselves within the squad for the Carabao Cup next week against Leicester. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure how the under-21 schedule works this weekend and next week for them. But, you know, there's opportunities there. That, you know, two more games in that EFL trophy, if they can get themselves through, I think they find themselves then probably in the knockout stages potentially after Christmas. Um, and... And it allows them to just develop as players. And yeah, we probably thought, you know, Bobby Clark had interest of championship clubs um, towards the back end of the transfer window, but we've held on to him. And, you know, with, within reason, we might see why, because, you know, he, he got himself on the score sheet and he may find himself knocking around the first team in the next few weeks. And if we get the business done in the Europa League nice and early, um, which, you know, is very possible, you know, potentially leave a game or two for them to play and 
you know, there might be one at Anfield where they're not playing in front of a thousand people or so at Morecambe, you know, they could potentially play in front of 50, 60,000 at Anfield, which is an experience that probably very few people in their lifetime will ever get to, to live for. I just love the idea of us going into this and winning it and winning everything else, you know, like, it, I mean, the Europa League's not the Champions League and the EFL trophy's not the FA Cup or whatever, but can you imagine, like, that be another trophy to add to our list of, of things we've ever won? Um, I thought it was funny, though, looking at the um, match report, just looking at the end and the team, that Scanlon was brought off with about 12 minutes left and he was replaced by the young um, Jay Spearing, who must be about as old as David Lloyd <laughs> by now. <laughs> I mean, he certainly looked at the all due respect to Jay. Um, <laughs> you know, he, I, I find it odd, but, you know, he, he obviously serves a purpose. He's obviously working towards some sort of coaching badges and development. And, you know, with all due respect to him, he was never the player that, you know, people may have thought he would have been. But he's probably passing for it in terms of the size. You know, we, I think he's still probably five or three, isn't he? Um, yeah. Seems like he loves a sunbed more than he loves a football pitch at times, but you know, he, he's still getting out there and you know, if he can do it and he can mentor a few of these young lads and one or two of them can get into the first team, then you know, he's probably served the purpose as what he's doing. So, good luck to him. Yeah, and I think the thing about him as well is, I mean, they, they always say that he, the biggest problem for Jay was um, all through his young younger years, they thought, right, this is one hell of a centre back we're making here. Uh, just wait till he's grown up. And he didn't grow beyond the five foot seven, and all of a sudden, centre back wasn't really the best place for him. Um, you know, and maybe that maybe that was the biggest issue for him. But what he's got is he's got um, he, he's made it. He's been in the Liverpool first team. He's played there, but he's also sort of seen that slip away to some extent because he's kind of drifted away, and he's had to go out on loan to the likes of Bolton and Leicester, and played for Blackpool for years. Went over the water to Tranmere before coming back to us. So he's kind of. I'm sure he's full of things that he's done in his life and he's thought, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done this. But at the same time, yeah, I did do this and I did do this. And he's got a sort of, he'll have his head screwed on and those young lads that he's kind of mentoring now, I'm sure can learn a lot from him. Um, you know, but I just love the idea of us going out there and winning winning this. And I mean, that's a big ask. We've only won one game in all the time we've been involved in it. But imagine us winning this, winning everything else. I mean, I'm absolute full-on clean sweep, which... You just know that lot from across the park will be slagging off as like, nah, that's not a quintuple. That's not a real quintuple. You know, I don't give a shit. It's still more more than you are of one. Um, Leicester, Wolves. Sorry, we've done Wolves. We've, we've done them eventually. We've done last. Got West Ham to come. I'm sure that'll not be an easy game, but I think I'm confident like yourself. Then Leicester. I mean, any quick words on Leicester? I mean, I just think we're going to be pretty much the team we put out against Lask with maybe a couple more swapped out for a slightly younger lineup, but still. I, I would imagine, given the, the team I sort of mentioned before for West Ham, you'd, you'd see the likes of, you know, Kelleher back in goal, um, Simic has come back in, Gomez Mata, uh, potentially a centre half. If we've got a right back who we can muddle together out the youth team, maybe he gets a game, or maybe Besetic goes back into that position um, and tries again. Um Midfield three would not be a surprise if it's the same three as Lask. Um, Paul, so maybe Gapo and Jota to get a game. Young Vendor again might get a start. And it would be nice to see a couple of these young lads on the bench, maybe, you know, if we can get the game wrapped up and, you know, maybe give Bobby Clark the opportunity to get on the pitch, maybe give, you know, Callum Scanlon the opportunity to get on the pitch. Um, 
you know, experience Anfield for all its glory um, under the lights because, you know, <laughs> this time of year the nights are rolling in quickly and at the moment, the way the weather is, it's dark by five o'clock because it's consistently raining in Liverpool for the last week. Uh-huh. Um, and Leicester, they deserve beaten because they've got an absolute vile fan base and I just have memories of, I think it was last season when Jota scored um, and was telling them all to fuck off down there and which was lovely <laughs> but yeah they, they've got some horrible creatures in their fan base and some of the things they come up with much aligned with what Wolves were saying at the weekend but we won't delve into that because you know let's not give them the airtime. they are what they are they're the laws of the law and some of the things they say don't be here to be heard yeah these non-entities of places like I mean at least I mean Leicester made Chris although they get the colours wrong on salt and vinegar and cheese and onion but that's another story Um I mean Wolves I'm not sure what they're fi- famous for I think they used to make tyres once um, and you've got Liverpool which is famous for just about everything um, all the laughs all the fun all the jokes I mean we love the city obviously we're biased but there's, there's so much going for the city and um, that's where Liverpool are playing the games for the next two occasions and at Anfield in front of a, a crazy crowd where you don't have to look far to see the fans I loved it last night when Nunes scored his pen actually and he just turned around and celebrated with the Liverpool fans who were kind of stuck in a corner. But obviously, Anfield, any goals, we'd be celebrating on all four sides, apart from whatever little bit of the ground that we give to the away fans. And it is all looking positive at the moment. Let's hope we're not having to come back from being a goal down. But you know what? I back this team, this 2023 team, has been able to do that against anyone. If they do concede, they can get back and get back and win. And we've done it more than once this season, as we've seen. But for us, for now, that is it. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Make sure you listen to all the other great stuff on here on Outfield Index. But for us, for now, until next time, goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.